Good morning. This is an exciting morning. We are so glad to be here. And um, we are so glad that you are here this morning. We're glad to have you um, celebrating with us the launch of Redemption Hill Church. As Joe mentioned this morning, um, we're having this celebration in three locations today. We're celebrating here at our new campus in La Habra. We're celebrating at our Whittier Hills campus in East Whittier. We're celebrating at our Uptown campus in Uptown Whittier. This is a big deal. This is a big morning. We're excited. So just thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part of this morning with us. We're glad that you're here. Um, Before we begin, it's right for me to say thank you to a few specific people. There are way too many, there are too many people to thank, but to Principal um, Bailey at Sonora High School and the administration here who have been amazing and helpful to our custodians who have all been so gracious to us, to the people at the district that have helped us just be here today to use this facility for this purpose. Just thank you to them, whether they're here or not, whether they can hear me or not, we owe them a debt of gratitude. So thank you to the school and to the district for allowing us to be here. My request for us would be that we would steward this facility well, that we would, um, we would take care of this building like it was our own building uh, so that they're not sorry they've been so gracious to us. Um, but we're thankful to them. We're grateful for them. If you're visiting with us this morning, if this is your first time with us, this might be a little bit <clears throat> uncomfortable for you. You might not know what to expect From this morning, um, we've already asked for you to give us your personal information. That can feel a little bit creepy. Um, Maybe we're just kind of making you uncomfortable, all these weird church people. Um, Maybe it's a little warm for you. I I don't know if this will help, but if it helps, I'm a little bit uncomfortable this morning too. Um, Because if you're here this morning and it's the first time you're here, it's likely because somebody invited you to be here. Um, And it's, it's... They care about your impression of what happens today. They care about what you think about what's said today. And certainly I care. And so I'm carrying the weight of that expectation a little bit this morning. And so I thought the best thing to do would just be to set the expectation right from the beginning. There are two things I can promise you if you spend any length of time with us at all. The first is this. We will disappoint you. In some way, we will disappoint you We will say something that makes you uncomfortable. Um, We will hurt your feelings. That's just going to happen. It will probably be me um, because I'm going to be doing the majority of the talking. So I just want to get that out from the beginning. We will disappoint you in some way. And if it's not me, it will be someone. I can guarantee it. If you spend enough time with us, someone will let you down. The second promise is this. We will never stop pointing you to the one who never will. We will disappoint you but we can point you to someone who will never let you down, who will never disappoint you, and that's Jesus. And that's our purpose for being here this morning. That's why we're here, is to point you to Jesus. It's to come together as people who love him and follow him and point each other to Jesus because he's the only one of us that's not going to disappoint us in some way. So before we open God's word this morning, let me just pray for us this morning. Lord, we're so excited to be here. We're so excited that you have given us this place to meet and to worship you and to talk about you. Lord, I would just pray this morning that you would um, reveal yourself to us, that we would understand how desperately you love us, and um, Lord, that we would walk away this morning with a different understanding of you 
and a different understanding of what it means to be the church than we had when we came in. We thank you. We love you. We pray this in the name of your son. Amen. So um, what do you want to talk about? I'm just kidding. I wrote down some things. Um, but this is the question I've been asking myself now for some time. On this day, at this time, what do we want to talk about? What is the conversation that we want to have? And so I'd like to invite you into a conversation this morning about what it means for us to be the church, what it means for us to be the church here in La Habra, why we're here, why there's a church. I'd like to talk about church, I'd like to talk about religion, and I'd like to talk about the gospel. If you're here for the first time or you're visiting with us, I would like to invite you to listen in on that conversation that is taking place with our church family this morning because I know that if you're in church, the only, the thing, that, the only thing that's more exciting than being in church is being in church talking about church. Um, so I just want to do something that would be really impactful for you this morning. But let's just talk for a minute about what our expectations are of church. Some of you grew up in church. Some of you have been in church all your life. Maybe some of you this morning, you really haven't spent any time in church at all. Some of you have been in the church for 50 years, you'd never think of leaving it. Some of you maybe never been in the church or you haven't been in there much, but you've got enough friends and family members who go to church that you're pretty confident that church is not for you. And that's okay. We all come at church with different expectations about what church is and what it's about, what it's for. And while the details might differ a little bit for each of us, the general expectation of what we're going to hear in church is the same. If I do what's right, if I avoid what's wrong, then God will be pleased with me. If I do the right things and I avoid all the wrong things, then God will love me. And if I give some money, God would probably look favorably on that as well, right? That's kind of what we expect to hear at church. Do this, don't do that, so that God will love you and give us money. That's what we've come to expect from church because religion would state to us that obedience equals acceptance. If I obey, if I do the right things, then God will accept me. If I obey, God will be pleased with me that there's a, a code to follow, there's a certain morality to ascribe to, and if I do those things, then God will be happy, and if I don't do those things, God will not be happy. And this morning, what I'd like to do is take that whole thing, that whole definition of religion, of obedience equals acceptance, and just throw it out the window. I'd like to take that whole idea and just turn it on its head, and I'd like to have a conversation about the difference between religion and the gospel because they're two completely different things. See, the gospel is what we, we use this word all the time. It's, it's in your worship folder. It's like in your sermon notes. It's on the banner in the back, right in the middle, gospel. If you got an invitation, it said gospel on it. We use that word all the time. What do we mean when we say gospel? We talk about the gospel. We talk about the good news proclaimed in the Bible. We're talking about the good news that's declared in God's word. So when we use that term gospel, that's what we're talking about. <clears throat> and the gospel says exactly the opposite of what I just talked about, our expectation of religion being. Because at the center of the gospel is the cross. At the center of the gospel is Jesus in my place on the cross 
because of my offense against God. That's what the gospel is about. Not because I've done this, not because I've avoided that, not because I've ascribed to this certain moral code, but just because he loves me. That's it. That's the message of the gospel. And this morning, we're going to look at a very familiar passage in Scripture. If you have your Bible this morning, you can turn to John chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible this morning and you'd like one, we have some. If you just want to raise your hand, you can do that. There are some here at the ends of the aisles. If that seems uncomfortable, we're just going to project it on the screen in a minute so you don't even have to look it up. If you're using the Bibles we've provided... Those are our gift to you. If you'd like to have that, you're welcome to take one. We're going to be on page 888. That's easy enough to remember. John 3.16 is the verse we're going to look at this morning. Um, Everybody knows John 3.16 in some way. If you don't know John 3.16, you know about John 3.16. If you watch sports, you know John 3.16, at least by reference. Many of you probably have committed it to memory, but on some level, everybody knows the verse John 3.16. Maybe one of the most important verses in all of Scripture, and it's somehow, because it's gotten so much play, it's almost become meaningless to us. But on some level, everybody knows John 3.16, and I I emphasize on some level because this week, Krista, my wife, was helping one um, one of the young girls in the Awana club, which is our midweek Bible club that meets on the Whittier Hills campus, and this was their verse this week. This was the verse that they were supposed to commit to memory this week, John 3.16. And that exchange went a little bit something like this. The little girl was so excited to share because she already knew the verse, she didn't have to do any more work to memorize it, and she said this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only forgotten son, that whoever believes in him, uh, how did this go? Whoever believes in him, I wrote it down. Oh, we'll have liberty and justice for all, (laughs) which is super awesome Um, and very descriptive of what this verse has become to us. It's something that we just say out of rote memory, and it has no meaning anymore. It means nothing. We can say it without thinking, which means we can think about it without thinking. And this morning, I just want to look at John 3.16, and I want to look at what it actually says And when I think about what it actually means, and here's the verse, we've got it up here. John 3.16 says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. What is the first thing you see when you look at this verse? For God loved. For God so loved the world. We see that God is motivated out of love. That's the first thing. The second thing we see is that he's motivated out of love to the point of action. God is motivated by love to the point that he takes significant action. Now, I I call it significant action. That's a wild understatement. What is the action that God takes? He loves us. That love inspires significant action, and that action is the gift of his son, Jesus, who we know by the rest of Scripture was given as a gift to die in our place as a payment for the debt that we owe. So what this verse is saying is that Almighty God, Creator God, loves the world so much He would send His own Son to die in the place of the people that owe Him this debt. That's crazy. That is crazy. 
But people do crazy things when they're in love. I was reminded this week <clears throat> of um, when I was dating Krista, my wife. We, had, um, we were walking around the shops at the Disneyland Hotel, which I guess now is downtown Disney. Back then, they just had shops near the hotel. Um, we were walking around the shops there, and the, the trick was, if you were going to go shopping there, um, parking is really expensive because it's Disney. Um, <clears throat> So the trick was you would walk around the shops and then you would go into one of the stores and you'd buy like a, a pack of gum or, or a button and you would ask them to validate your parking ticket and then you wouldn't have to pay for parking and you'd get gum and it was much cheaper. Well, we were there walking around the shops and um, I said, hey, we got to stop in the store and validate our parking ticket, but I didn't buy a pack of gum. I didn't buy a button. I, I looked for the biggest most expensive stuffed animal I could find, and I bought it for Krista. And I used it to validate the parking, <clears throat> which is completely counterintuitive. <laughs> I, think, I think that stuffed Tigger set me back like 110 bucks, <laughs> and this was a while ago. So it was a big deal. It, was, it didn't make any sense for me to do that. It was crazy. That's why I did it. I wanted her to know I was crazy about her. I, didn't, I just did it so that she would know I was crazy about her and that that's how much I loved her. To do something crazy and extravagant. That's the kind of motivation that we're talking about when we talk about the gospel. God is crazy about you. He is willing to do something extravagant for us just because he loves us, not because we've done something to motivate that. And why did he do it? John 3.16 tells us why he did it. So that anyone who believes, anyone who puts their trust in him will not die but have life. God's gift extends to everybody and it is life-giving. See, the problem is the Bible says that we're destined for death. We're destined to be separate from God forever because God is holy he has no sin, and we are sinful. We just are. We're broken, and we pretty much know that about ourselves. A holy God cannot be with a sinful man. It just doesn't work, and that's the problem of sin. And John 3.16 says that God, through the gift of his Son, fixed the problem. God, through the, through the gift of Jesus, he fixed the problem, the disconnect, so that we could be in relationship with him. That's the whole point. And contrary to popular belief, God did not send Jesus to tell us how bad we are. If we look at the next verse, which is much less well-known, John 3, 17, you don't see that at a football game, by the way, says this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God didn't send Jesus to point out our flaws. God sent Jesus to cover them. God didn't send Jesus to tell us we deserve to die God sent Jesus to die in our place. And that's a significant difference. And what I notice from these verses, you know what's missing? The conditions. Where are all the conditions that God puts on this love? Where are the rules that have to be followed in order to merit this or to earn this? I can't find them here. Where are the lists of people that are excluded from this love? I don't see them here. And I've had this conversation so many times where people say, I can't believe in the God of the Bible because it just excludes too many people. And then I look at John 3.16 and I think, well, who's excluded? 
Because it says whoever believes. Well, the people who don't believe are excluded. Yeah. Yes, they are. But that's not exclusive. That's just true. Anyone who rejects the gift that God offers freely self-selects out of the benefits of the gospel. That's not exclusive. It's just true. It's just sensible. John 3.16 shows us that motivated out of love, God sent Jesus to die in our place so that we would have right standing with him. If we look at Romans chapter 5, it says this, and we'll put it up here so you don't have to get there in your Bible. Romans chapter 5 says this, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. I imagine everybody has this list somewhere, a list of people you would die for. Um, My family's on that list. But we don't have a long list of people we would die for. Because like this says, I mean, maybe you die for the right person. But you'd barely do that. Verse 8 says this, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's crazy. That's crazy. Do you know what that means? That means at your lowest. That means at your most broken. That means when you don't even love yourself, God loves you. That's crazy. Do you know how hard that is? That means that when you just outright reject God and say, I don't need you, I know better, my way is better, God says, I still love you. And I don't love you a little, I love you a lot. Romans 5 continues, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. There's a lot going on in there. There's a lot of words and there's blood and there's reconciled used a lot. What are we talking about? We can't stand before God on our own. We have no hope of standing before a holy God on our own merit. It's not going to happen. I remember having a conversation with a coworker. And I had shared the gospel with him, this, this same thing we're talking about this morning. This was before I worked at the church, by the way. <laughs> I had shared the gospel with him, and he said, that's stupid. When I get before God, I'm going to tell him what a dumb plan that is. <laughs> and I wanted to say, no, you won't. You won't. You, you might feel very strongly that way now, but when you stand before God, the Bible is very clear. When we stand before God, each and every one of us, and we will, it will happen. We will bow before him and we will proclaim that he is God. That will happen. That's just a reality. We won't have the stomach or the ability to speak, let alone to tell God what's wrong with his plan. If there's something wrong with God's plan, it's that it is unbelievably unwarranted. His gift is so overwhelmingly unfair in our favor That's the problem with the plan of salvation. That's the problem with the gospel is that it's so much in our favor. God is holy. We've sinned. That's just true. And that's why we need Jesus. And God, motivated by love, crushed his own son and poured out his wrath there instead of on us. That's crazy. Verse 9 says we're justified 
by his blood. That's a weird thing. We don't use language like that very much. All it means is that Christ paid the penalty for our debt before God. His death substitutes for us. He died in our place. That's how his blood covers us. That means that we have been saved by an act of God. It means no amount of work, no amount of effort, no amount of cleaning yourself up can make you right before God. No amount of hard work can make you and put you in right standing before him. But God says, because of my son, you're justified before me. You can stand in front of me blameless. You owe nothing because Jesus took all of it. He just absorbed all of that wrath on the cross on himself because of his love for us. That's crazy. At the core of the gospel is Jesus in our place. We call that good news. We say that the gospel is good news, and I would say that is a radical understatement. The gospel is unbelievably great news. And for the church and the people of God, it changes everything. That's why we're Redemption Hill Church. Redemption Hill is the place where that unbelievable, unwarranted gift was given, where God poured out unmerited favor on all people. That's the place where the cross stood, where Jesus took all of that upon himself. That's why we're Redemption Hill Church. When the God of heaven reached down and said, I love you like crazy, all of you, no matter who you are, no matter where you are. Um, if you don't know what redemption means, our kids have asked that a couple times. What does redemption mean? The dictionary describes it like this. Um, first, the action of saving or being saved from sin. That's kind of a churchy definition, but that's what the dictionary said. Um, so I, I'm going to go with the second definition because it's less church. The action of gaining possession of something in exchange for payment, the clearing of a debt. Redemption Hill is the place where the payment was made, where we were freed from the debt that we owe to God because of our sin. And so as a church, our hope is to continually point each other to the cross, continually point each other to that place, and remind ourselves of the incredible love of God that that represents. The gospel says that there's nothing I can do that would make God love me more than he already does. Do you see how that's different than how we describe religion? If religion says, I obey to be accepted, the gospel says, you're accepted already. Just obey. My obedience is an act of worship to an amazing God. The gospel says, there's nothing I can do to make God love me more than he already does right now. There's nothing I have done or will ever do that will make God love me less. I can't. How do I know that? Because if we look in Scripture, we see it. It says, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's crazy. So what does it look like for the church to respond to the gospel? If religion demands obedience, the gospel fuels obedience. The gospel drives it. But you're thinking probably, hey, aren't we still talking about the same thing? I mean, we can call it religion or we can call it the gospel, but aren't we still talking about 
following rules, and there's a, aren't there still certain things I'm supposed to do and still certain things I'm not supposed to do? So really, in the end, isn't it all kind of the same? And it's, it's not. We obey the commands of Scripture because we love God. We obey the commands of Scripture because we want to be different, because we've been loved in a way that we can't even explain. God's love doesn't even make any sense. It's crazy. And it's so good. We obey it out of response for his love. We obey and we point people to the cross because we want them to experience what we have experienced in a relationship with God where God says, I love you. And that's why we have to keep the gospel at the center. That's why the gospel is important for the church. The gospel is not something you just tell someone who doesn't know the Lord. The gospel is something that always has to be in front of us to remind us that we don't obey so that God will be happy with us. We don't obey to earn his love. We obey out of response for that love. That's the point of it. We don't, we don't glorify him. We don't point people to him to earn his favor. Pastor Matt Chandler puts it this way, and I love the way he puts it. The marker of those who understand the gospel of Jesus Christ is that when they stumble and fall, when they screw up, they run to God and not from him because they clearly understand that their acceptance before God is not predicated upon their behavior but on the righteous life of Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death. You know what does not surprise God when we sin? does not surprise him when we screw up. And he is not posturing himself to wait for us to make a mistake and see, see, I told you, I shouldn't have loved you to begin with. Because look how broken and messed up you are. You're a real problem. When we sin and stumble, we run to God because he said, I love you anyway. And who else does that? Where else do we receive that kind of love but from God? And so we run to him in our brokenness instead of from him. So what does it look like for us to respond to the gospel? It means that we love God in return. Jesus says the greatest commandment in all of Scripture, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. The reason we can do that is not that we just, we just make ourselves love God. The more we understand the gospel, the better we understand the gospel. We are compelled to love him back because where else do we find a love like this? Nowhere else do we find a love like we find with God. In 1 John chapter 4, this is the last um, scripture I'm going to read to you, and I just want you to listen to this. It says this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. Okay, that makes sense, right? That sounds like John 3.16. God sent his Son into the world so that we would live, okay? Verse 10 says this. In this love, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Okay, we got that too. God loved us first. The order of events is important. We're not accepted because we love him. We're accepted so we love him. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Do you know what propitiation means? I looked it up so that I could give you a clear answer. And it says, um, the act of being propitiated. That's the definition of propitiation. <laughs> okay, but to be propitiated, it means to appease or to satisfy. So what is the verse saying? Because propitiation is not a word any of us use. He sent his son to satisfy our sin. He sent his son to appease the debt that we owed. 
Okay, we get that. We get that. So, church, how do we respond? Verse 11, here's the reason for saying this. Verse 11, how do we respond to the gospel? If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and the second is like it, to love each other, right? That's what 1 John 4 says. We also ought to love one another. As a church, do we want to know how to respond to the gospel? We love God and we love people. And we love people the way God loves people, which means we love people like crazy. We love people in a way that is extravagant and unmerited. And we just pour out love on them. And who does that? Nobody does that but God. God fuels that in us so that when people say, why are you doing that? Because nobody loves like that. And we point to the cross and say, I know a guy. I know a guy that loves like that. And I'm just trying to love like him. When we say coming to church is, it all, is about obeying the rules, and we invite people into that, and we say, hey, come, come obey the rules with us. Do you know what that creates? That creates hypocrites. No one's ever accused the church of being full of hypocrites before, right? <laughs> we say, hey, come and try to meet an unattainable standard with us. Come and try to satisfy a bunch of rules you can never satisfy, and then together we'll get together and we'll make each other feel bad about that. Well, who wants to do that? And that's not the gospel. The gospel says God loves you like crazy. And all he says is if you believe that, I will give you life and I will give it abundantly. And the power that raised Christ from the dead is available to you. And then you can go and love God and you can love people like crazy. And when they say, why are you doing that? You can say, I know a guy. I know a guy that loves like that. I started this morning by, by talking to our guests. I'd like to kind of end on that note. If you're here this morning and you don't have a church family, you don't have a church home, and maybe that's why you're here, just sort of check things out, um, can I just invite you to be a part of our church family? But I just want to warn you, this is what we're about. We're just about the gospel. We have a God that loves us desperately, and we're just regular people. And we understand how deeply God loves us. And we'd love to invite you to be a part of that so that we can get together on Sundays and during the week. And we can just tell each other how great God is. And we can inspire each other to love people that same way. And to tell other people, hey, I know a guy. And you should meet this guy. Because he's pretty great. And he loves you like crazy. I guarantee it. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never really heard this before. You've never really heard it explained this way. And you'd like to know a little bit more about it. I hope that's the case. We gave you a connection card. You can write on there. You can tell us what you're thinking. You can ask us questions. You can come up afterward and you can ask us questions. You can ask us to tell you more about Jesus. Maybe you're just here because our invitation said there would be donuts. We want you to have donuts. We would love for you to meet Jesus. We would love for you to be a part of that, to be a part of your experience here with us. And we want to make that available to you. Um, maybe all of that feels like a little bit too much this morning. Um, that feels a little 
uncomfortable, that feels a little fast, and that's fine. It's just a life-changing decision. We don't want to push anyone into it, but we want to tell you it will change your life. It changes everything. And we know a guy who loves you like crazy, and we just want to invite you into a relationship with him because we have found that to be incredible. Maybe that's too much, but can I just ask you one thing? If you feel anything this morning, if this conversation means anything, or you feel even like the slightest tug, can I just invite you to continue this conversation next week? Because we'll be here again. Can I just invite you back to continue this conversation with us next week? Um, I'm going to call the ushers forward to collect our offering. I told you this was going to happen. We were going to ask for your money at some point. Um, So I'm going to call the ushers forward now to collect offering. Let me explain what this is and what this isn't. Um, This is an opportunity for those of us who love the Lord who love Jesus to respond. This is an act of worship. This is a way we give back to him from what he's given us. Um, This is the result of a relationship with Jesus. This does not purchase a relationship with Jesus. This does not buy you anything. I just want to make sure we're really clear on that. This is a response to a relationship with Jesus, our offering. And if you're a guest with us today, I just want to say we have no expectation of a gift from you. What we would ask, if you would be willing to put your your connection card with your information in the offering, we would love that. I feel like that's a big enough ask. If you would trust us with that, we would love to follow up with you and thank you for being here with us this morning. Let me pray for our offering as we close. God, we are so overwhelmed by your love for us. We cannot comprehend how anyone loves this deeply, but we just thank you for that this morning. We thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you for the gospel. We pray that it would change our lives. We pray that it would sink so deeply in that we would love people like crazy. And we thank you that you love us despite who we are, despite what we've done. We thank you that you just pour out love on us. Pray that you would accept these gifts from us as honoring to you. Pray that we would point people to you. We pray this in the name of your son. Amen.